Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU fan podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Peyton Guthrie, joined mainly and almost always by uh, the, the three others. We got Matt Burton running the board, running the sound. We don't have quite have a soundboard yet, but that's in the plans. Uh, Brady Trantham, our historian, the man of the plan, the man of the action. And then our tracksuit mafia man himself, Alan <laughs> Kenny, the guy in the D.C. position of power, him and Joe figuring everything out, trying to figure out where all that blow came from. <laughs> where's the gold chain like you're you're just missing a gold chain alan yeah <laughs> for those of you who uh given that podcasting is not a visual medium yeah i am wearing an adidas track jacket uh which is uh, a staple in my wardrobe as anybody who uh knows me knows knows well it's on brand it's red and white it's an ou podcast yeah, yeah. good there enough. we go uh, but we do have some potential some potential drama here. We had uh, Matt headed up to Kansas City to go watch Taylor Swift. Did not invite the largest ta- uh, Swifty I know uh, in Brady there. How how'd that trip go? You said you went out there without any tickets whatsoever. Yeah, we went out uh, without any tickets. It was very ballsy. Um, we missed the first five songs because we bought the tickets late because that's when the tickets like actually drop in price so yeah, um that's that's that was our plan and we executed that plan um with hardly any other preparation uh, but it worked out it worked out uh it was not even joking uh, like again I've, I've seen people in concert that i'm bigger fans of than taylor swift that was the biggest that was the best concert i've ever been to but the the show that she puts on, she played for three hours too. She sang for three hours, barely taking breaks at all. It was it was awesome. So I'm sorry, Brady. Blame Erica, um, and you can DM her all of your hate and slander. Here's here's Matt's humble brag about having a girlfriend. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah. fiance, fiance, <laughs> fiance, whatever. So five five songs. You just so that, your fiance. <laughs> yeah. Right. Five songs. That's like I'll bleep six, out the I'll bleep out the at and everything. <laughs> five songs. That's like six minutes of Earth time, right? Basically, yeah. We missed uh, the first five songs. Yeah, Jeff Levy would Jeff Levy would love to have that type of offense. <laughs> like we just need to last five Taylor Swift songs in a row, guys. It's radio music. Let's do this. Just play Speak Now. It just came like at practice. Just roll Speak Now, Taylor's version. Just don't punt until the song's over, please, God. Yeah. Uh, so, guys, we do have a uh, 
we do have somewhat of a heavy topic at the end of the show, so I wanted to start the show with a very stupid um, a question. Uh, I myself was just in D.C., had a plane trip in which I uh, watched a movie. So I asked the guys, what are your favorite uh, airline in-flight movies that you've watched or what's like a perfect kind of in-flight movie uh, that you want to ha- watch in that type of a thing? And if you guys are on Twitter, you know Alan's secondary, the main gig seems to be movie reviews. So, Alan, if we can start <laughs> with you, uh, what's what's the like, the the best in flight movie that really stuck with you? You're like, hey, this is my kind of built to be seen on this little B screen right in front of me on somebody's seat. Yeah, that's a you know, this is a fantastic topic. Um, you know, I think a lot of it depends kind of on where you're heading, if that makes sense. Like, if you're going if you're going on a business trip or you're getting flown out to you know a conference in I don't know Waterloo, Iowa or something. I mean. I don't know. You're not probably going to be in the mood for something like light. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. I But, you know, like when I think about vacations, for example, to me, it's Big Lebowski. That's an easy one. Uh, you know, keep it light. You know, it's funny. They don't really make comedy movies anymore. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of that one uh, just in general. And uh, for a flight, tough to beat that one. Brady, you're next up. What do you think? In-flight movie. Where are you going for? So I don't really have like a go-to, but I mean, I, I, what, a month ago I was in England for two weeks. And so when I flew from Dallas to Heathrow in London, you know, that's not a short flight. No, it's, it's like (laughs) eight and a half hours, almost nine hours. And, you know, it was, I think it was American airline, which sucks, but you know, oh, well, and they had like all the little TV screens on the back of the um, seats. I don't know if that's standard now, but that's what I had. And you had like zillions of movies to choose from. And so I kind of just had the idea, let me just pick something that's long. So I tried to look like for Lord of the Rings or something like that. And I actually saw a bunch of movies that I'd never seen and I've always kind of wanted to see. And they were pretty long themselves. Uh, One of them, (laughs) I wouldn't recommend watching movies like this on an airline. I watched Amistad with um, Morgan Freeman and uh, um, uh, what's his name? The UT guy, uh, Oh yeah, as McConaughey it does. McConaughey, it? Russ Cole from yeah. True Detective. I've never seen that movie. Um, I've always wanted to see or see it. I'm, you know, I like history. Um, I just wouldn't recommend watching that around a bunch of strangers when there is just gratuitous racial violence going on in the movie. It's a very heavy subject, uh, but it did the trick. And then I followed that up with another uh, movie I wouldn't recommend. I think it was called Glory, which was a Civil War movie with Matthew Broderick. And again. I watched those two movies. I took like a break for about 20 minutes and read a book. And then I watched Saving Private Ryan. So as soon as those three movies were over, we were landing. So, yeah, I I watch movies that are long and that I know. Um, But this time I picked movies I hadn't seen, but I wanted to see. But they were long, so they did the trick. And that book was Mein Kampf that uh, Brady oh, was that Brady oh, was my God. <laughs> it was Minecraft. Minecraft. Minecraft, no, Matt. Goodness. <laughs> All right, Matt, wrap it up for us. Yeah, uh, this will be short and sweet. I've only been on one uh, airplane that actually had an in-flight movie, and they we were, it was so cliche because I think the breakup, right, with Vince Vaughn, mm-hmm. like whatever, I think they go to Hawaii in that or some sort of like tropical yeah, place. Yes, so it was that. like very cliche. We're going to Hawaii, and we play a movie where they're at some tropical. I don't know. I didn't pay much attention to it. Wasn't the biggest fan, So, which sucks because I do like Vince Vaughn, but. Yeah. So I, I, I traveled a decent amount, but usually just listen to a podcast and read your book. Um, I, I've watched two movies that really stuck out in my mind. One just recently. Um, and I 
will say this is probably the perfect airline movie. Uh, D&D uh, Honor Among mm-hmm. Thieves was great in an airplane. <laughs> Just dumb movie. You know what's going to happen. You, I'd never seen it before, but I knew all the beats. Uh, the other movie I've watched that really sticks out, complete opposite. The first time I ever watched All the President's Men, was an air, also on an airplane, mm. uh, would not suggest watching it in that manner, but kept you kind of engrossed and on top of it. So that was really nice. Uh, tweet us, what's your favorite in-flight movies? Uh, that was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, but now we're going to some OU stuff. OU finally breaks the, breaks the streak here. I say finally. I think they had a wide receiver commit not too long ago. Peyton, is this the heavy topic you were referencing this is not, Yeah, this is a different heavy topic. Yeah. <laughs> the heavy topic is why does Joe John Finley have a job? Uh, but Joe John Finley finally oh. gets somebody in a bag. Uh, finally gets uh, uh, Mitchell in the bag, who's going to be reclassifying from the 2025 class to 2024 class. Uh, obviously, since he uh, committed to Oklahoma, it went from a five-star to a four-star. Obviously, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but I Brady did, right? He at least on rivals he has. Uh twenty four seven is yet to reclassify him. Rivals has already and they dropped him down and um whoever the rivals guy is, I can't remember his name, had to go and defend himself on Twitter. I mean Aww. made a big deal about it and then he defended himself after making a big deal about it. Uh but Brady, we're getting a tight end. Uh, the only tight end we have right now is Stogner. He's gone after this year. We've got a bunch of guys who either can't stay healthy or don't seem like they may be part of any future plans. Um I think maybe you and I both had kind of thought processes under Lebby's will Lebby be able to attract this type of skill talent and you know Mitchell is a potential five-star tight end uh depending on how he kind of re- gets reclassified and re-ranked within the 24 class is this is this what you're looking for when we're talking about getting these types of recruits into the building um or I don't know is, it, is this enough to kind of wet your appetite through the summer I mean, short answer, yes. Now, the only thing that OU probably needs to do with Mitchell is try to get him to reclassify to 2023 because, God damn, we need nice. yeah. we need some help at that position. But, um, you know, if he technically is not a five-star, I, I'm this is not like, you know, trying to be hopium OU fan here, like, oh, you can do no wrong, that kind of take. It's not that. He's a five-star. And if he's only dropping to a four because he's reclassifying and they have to, like, make room for all these players that are already five stars, so be it. And I mean, Taylor Tatum, the number one back in the country who is heavily rumored to at some point commit to Oklahoma uh, and not USC recently got his fifth star. Um, I believe on 24 seven and on three, but it might've been just one of them, but he's, he just got bumped up to a fifth star. So if Mitchell drops to a four star and Tatum commits to OU, it's like, you know, who cares at that point? The end of the day, Lebby is, on paper, attracting the talent that OU needs. Um, I mean, already getting Jackson Arnold on campus, uh, especially at that time, um, has certainly got the ball rolling. Um, OU's already in on some uh, receivers that are highly thought of, some high-end four-stars. They didn't get uh, the Bryant kid that ended up going to uh, Clemson. Uh, But it seems like a lot of the battles, at least in terms of being rumored to, OU is winning them. We just need to see the commits. We We need to hear the verbal commits, and then we need to see them uh, sign on the dotted line, hopefully in December. Um, but, I mean, as it stands right now, everything's going according to plan. But, I mean, just please, guys, will you fucking commit? Like, this, there are three guys that just owe you, owe you, owe you, owe you on Twitter all day long. And it's like, okay, guys, it's we're almost to mi- the middle of July. Please do something because the Mitchell commit was great. But I think OU fans that were just casually listening to recruiting 
over the last few weeks probably saw that one coming. The big question was, is he reclassifying? And he answered both those questions on Saturday. Alan, uh, you, you've been you've been kind of watching this game for a little while of the recruiting to I me mean, to a certain degree, paying attention to OU for a while. Recruiting kind of goes along with that as you're following through a college football program. Do you have anything off the top of your mind about the reclassification? I mean, dropping down there from you know 25 to 24 and Brady too, maybe to chime in. Are there any like examples that we can think of just off the top of our head of guys coming in early? I mean, obviously, um, you know, Texas Ewers did it and has not worked out so far for him, you know, reclassifying uh, and early coming in. But do we have any um, any stories of that nature of like a, mm. a, someone coming in a year early and being able to kind of have that impact? I th- I want to say that Matt Barkley did that back at USC uh, way back when he might have come in a year early. I'm not entirely sure. Um, it doesn't I mean, you know, this doesn't happen very often. Um, a lot of times, you know, I mean, because physically, really, I'm not even sure how how much coaches would necessarily encourage it. And on top of that, you know, it, it's probably kind of hard to do in terms of having your uh, schoolwork all ready to go. Um, but, you know, I, I can't think of any like right off the bat, honestly, that uh, I, I imagine that it'll happen more often. You know, Ewers going, I think Ewers kind of did that as an, in an effort to get the, uh, get some stuff rolling with his NIL deals, but um, no, I guess we'll think about, I'll have to think about that. I can't think of many that have really pulled it off. I mean, Matt, I mean, I might be wrong, but this probably happens a lot more in basketball, right? Cause I know Carl Anthony towns. Um, I know he reclass- reclassified to the 20, what was it? The 15 or he was supposed to be coming out in 2015 reclassified to 2014. Um, yeah, I think, I, th- um, I think Jamal Murray did too. Yeah, it, it does. It does happen a lot in basketball. I think um, the one that really sticks out. I think R.J. Barrett did. Mm-hmm. To, he reclassified to get up in that class Ooh. with Zion and and Cam Reddish. Like, it, yeah, it does. It does happen a ton in basketball. Or now they just go to the G League, like right out of high school or something like that. There was yeah. one kid. Yeah, there was one kid that I can't remember who it was, but yeah, no, he reclassified just to go to the G League. So he's like seventeen in the G League. Yeah, and. I think that, you, that just kind of goes to show that it's a little, probably a little bit easier to do in basketball, which is it's physically demanding. It's not physically demanding on the level that football is like you you have to mature physically. And that just takes time for 99% of players. But, you know, I mean, if Adrian Peterson is coming out um, of high school, I'm sure he could say, I'm going to come out as a sophomore in high school because I just can, because I'm that yeah. good. But that for every Adrian Peterson, there are millions of, human college football players yeah i think levius overton maybe last year did it for a&m yep yep i was going to say uh, that uh desmond ricks did it as well for uh i think yeah. last year for alabama um because i was to say the uh, overton kid was somebody who OU thought he was going to reclassify and go to ou for a little bit but uh mm-hmm. obviously there's also a kid that, that reclassified from 2025 to 2023 this year who's going to ole miss i know good lord yeah that's crazy he's, i mean i think he's young miss yeah, yeah, right. I think he's like I. Don't, I don't understand why because they've already got a bunch of quarterbacks already in that program, right? But, uh, yeah, I think he's homeschooled, and so he can get way ahead on the schoolwork or something like that. Hey, oh, you yeah. on a kid who's being homeschooled right now. Why doesn't he commit as well? well Does somebody t- commit? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think probably some of that reclassification. Uh, 
like we talked about already with the, the Texas quarterback has more and more and more to do with the NIL having a chance to to start earning money sooner because the body can only I mean your body is only going to last so long I mean taking hits and stuff if you can get start getting that money sooner potentially that's good I don't know how much a uh, tight end is going to be able to earn at OU or any place at that point in time so hopefully uh, Joe John has a a plan figured out for Mitchell and able to keep him on the hook. But congrats for him uh, for doing something. I, I, I applaud this. I know someone said he's very good at getting the offensive signals into uh, the field, which uh, it's good on that, but I'm happy he's able to do some recruiting as well. So congratulations for uh, coming to the show. Uh, Joe John, uh, if you hear the show, John, you're a much larger human being than I am. Uh, I don't want to relive the how big are you radio day, so please do not find me. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on to the uh, Big 12, uh, Big 12 preseason rankings and Big 12 all uh, team there. Uh, Alan, what do we, what do we got thinking on here? We got OU picked for third, correct, at this point in time? Yes. Um, with the third most, I believe also the third most first place votes or maybe the second most. Um and then only having one all Big 12 team uh, uh, player on that with uh, Ethan Downs, which to me is just very funny. Uh, <laughs> do you think OU is just kind of, do you think this vote is just kind of media people saying like, well, OU should be good, but we don't want to put them at number two quite yet? Um. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's kind of like who who else would you put there? You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, yeah, I mean... Well, everyone Texas, loves tech. Yeah. Well, yeah. Somebody, that's somebody loved OSU like really hard. Right. You know, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, they're they're seventh, but they had a first place vote, which is wild, man. Um, but you know, I mean, you you compare OU to last season, and you know, I mean, so much of this is clearly kind of recency bias. Uh, it makes sense that uh, you know that uh, that they'd have OU checking in there, and you know, one of the funny things is, you know when it comes to Texas, um, everybody was like, Oh, well, gosh, I'm sure that they're, they get picked up, you know, to win the conference all the time and they never come through. And it's like, I look back at it. They actually haven't been picked to even the, the last time they were picked to win, um, the conference when they weren't actually even picked to win the conference, they were picked to win the division. It was that long ago. It was 2009. Uh, they were tied with OU. They did end up winning it that year, but they haven't been picked number one since then. Yeah, and this is the first time OU hasn't been picked in the top two, I believe, since twenty going into twenty fifteen. So yeah, coming off the right. coming off the eight and four year, um, I believe it was uh, TCU and Baylor going into, or you know, vice versa, been have been Baylor, TCU, uh, OU, then OSU at four, and that was you know the media basically got it right that year. They just didn't know that Baker Mayfield was going to become Baker Mayfield, but those were certainly the best four teams that in twenty fifteen, but. Um, I, I think the biggest gripe with anything is if Kansas State fans, um, TCU, you know, they win, they don't win the conference, but they get to the playoff. They have their best year in school history, um, but they lose just everybody. They just lose an entire roster of players that made them really, really good and able to capitalize on a lot of the luck that, that kind of threw their way. Kansas State lost like a handful of like, you know, they lose Deuce Vaughn. Um, they lose some other players, but they retained, you know, a, a lot of that roster. And if you're looking at it between OU, which is like we get it potential upside, Texas, we get it potential upside. I'm like, dude, Texas lost a lot. Like they lost close games last year. Um, they lost their bowl game. The only thing they really did last year of note was play Alabama closer than anybody 
expected them to, and then just shut out Oklahoma, which as the year went on, proved to not be very good and without their starting quarterback. So of their two things, it's like, are we just assuming that they're going to be good because they've got that stupid longhorn on their helmet and they've got guys that had a lot of stars next to their name? It's just, to me, if I'm mad about anything, it'd be if I'm a Kansas State fan. But that is, of course, with some ignorance. I don't necessarily know how much Kansas State lost, but I am under the impression that they at least retained much more than what TCU is bringing back. But I mean, as it pertains to OU, it's an ultimate hedging, you know, hedge bet. They were supposed to be kind of good last year. Maybe we kind of overemphasized the talent that they uh, retained and just took, didn't, you know, really take into account as much as they lost. Um, but they lost a lot of close, close games. They're going to be in year two under Brent, year two under Jeff Levy, year two with Dylan Gabriel. Um, some of the young talent is promising, especially on defense. So if they just win nine games, they'll probably end up third or four. So third sounds kind of right. But um, it, it's a great opportunity for OU. Um, but, you know, like I said, last time they were picked that low, they were, it was 2015, and they won the damn thing. So we'll see. To, to me, the, 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 the juxtaposition that I have, in her, or maybe the, the cognitive dissonance that I have here is picking OU to finish third in the league, but then also only saying they only have one All-Big 12 player. Uh, <laughs> to me, that's the hard part. Uh, unless you're saying their schedule is such of a cakewalk, they should win eight to nine games, which will more than likely be third or second place. You know, it's like, it, it doesn't matter that if they don't have talent up to the snuff and what we're looking for. Uh, and then on top of that, I'm sure Ethan Downs is a great guy. I, I, I really want him to be part of the a rotation at the edge. He's, he's great for marketing. Event. He's great for great marketing. Great for marketing. Um, but I still don't know if that should be the, uh, if, if, if you're stacking up everyone, I have a really hard time of not saying why isn't why isn't Bowman you know there at that point in time. I mean, if you just listen to the Cover Three uh, Summer School about Oklahoma, even Bud Elliott, noted Oklahoma hater, hardcore. <laughs> uh, he even mentioned he's like, there's a lot of coaches around there who literally tell me Bowman's the best safety they've coached against in like you know a number of years. I mean, just physically and stuff. And I get that he was hurt and things like that nature, but. This is the preseason you're projecting you know, to a certain degree. You're not saying this is we're living on what they've done. Because if so, then Ethan Downs, if Ethan Downs is, is on the all Big 12 team, that means there is no defensive end in the entire conference <laughs> that is worth the mm-hmm. damn uh, to, at that point in time. But Brady, I mean, uh, Matt, you're part of the media. Well, <laughs> I mean, what, I, how do you put that together in your mind of saying, Literal. hey, oh, he's going to finish third, but um, they also don't have any players worth the damn? Yeah, well, my job is to spread fake news. Um, so, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, what you just said was all true. So. Right, yeah, what you just said was all true. Uh, one, it's better than just having the punter like last year, right? True, uh, having a defensive true. line is better just than just having Michael Turk. As great as Michael Turk was, you know, it's it's, a, it, it's better to have an actual, I was going to say, you know, someone who, who does something meaningful, but Michael Turk did a lot of meaningful things as a punter. <laughs> so, never mind, that's disrespectful to him. Uh, two, you mentioned only having one uh, all or preseason all Big Twelve player uh, and projecting to finish third. Kansas has four and is projected to finish ninth. So I don't know. I was where I was gonna, we're going here. I was going to bring it's that. It's just up. very weird. It's just very including the most important position, the quarterback. So I, was, I just I don't know where we're at on this. Again, it's preseason, but and I really like don't like I don't like giving a lot of time to it, but it's also July and we don't have shit else to talk about. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. I mean, it, looking at 
the the rundown of everything, the team rankings, and then the player rankings, or at least the all conference performers preseason. It just kind of seems like you know a little bit of box score watching, a little bit of honest projection, people that are trying to use their brains, and then a little bit of yeah, we pick OU players all the time. Let's let's do something else. I want to I want to appear smarter, so I'm going to do this, this, and this, even though when you do that well then your reasoning and your philosophy kind of goes out the window when you throw Kansas down into the mid middle of the conference because if Kansas has the best quarterback in the conference they are probably a top 4 at the very least a top 5 Big 12 team like there's they're going well, they're, they're, the the defenses in this conference are uh, top to bottom are not good enough to me to beat the best quarterback in the conference more than four times, right? Like, it's a little silly to me. The pushback I have there is um, their defense should be terrible. <laughs> Just absolutely yeah, yeah. terrible. And they may have to win all their games, you know, 60 to 58. I think they have two guys on defense on the Aubrey 12 team, too. Oh, man. Oh, you should have grabbed them then. I don't know. <laughs> What's Brent they do have They do have one, the uh, aptly named Kobe Bryant cornerback. Uh, He's, He's like, look, guys. Look, guys, I promise. <laughs> My mom named me this. It was a different era. I miss him just like you do. Except for Peyton. Peyton's a Spurs fan. No, he big Spurs fan. I know they, they stopped Spurs silent. doing a seven Pete. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, that that's our thoughts on that on the Big Twelve season uh, rankings. I don't think third is any sort of major disrespect or something. If you were to look at where Brent is in the eyes of media, in my opinion, it's this is kind of like okay, you need to show what you what you're made out of. Uh, yeah. And I've seen a couple of things online where there's some people, like some um, media types and local types, are really looking at this thing. I think OU is going to be good next year. <laughs> like, but the more narrative based media guys are like. They're bad until they're good, you know, and it's hard to project out that way at, at times. Um, and it's very much so fair. Uh, Downs, you you better get like a if you your uh, your Letterman jacket, all Big Twelve <laughs> preseason team, get that patch sewed on there. Because uh, I don't know if you're going to be playing playing a lot of the snaps if things work out well with the roster. Uh, but Big Twelve uh, media day uh, or days. Uh, Alan, you had on here. You want to talk about questions and answers, things you want you would want to have kind of lobbied over there, I believe. Um, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Don't if I remember. said that. That's the last thing I want to hear about. That made fair enough. Uh, I I got it. I mean, oh well, no, I did put it on on the rundown. You You're did. Right. You're right. You did You're right. on the rundown. Um, so Brady, as the Big Twelve media days, as putting yourself in the, as a media member, if you can remember that back in three years ago, I believe. What are the what are the main questions you're asking the leaders or maybe the bottom feeders of the Big Twelve as they're kind of walking maybe the teams walking in or the teams walking out? Um, asking Big Twelve teams questions. I, I'm I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, does anyone really give a damn? <laughs> um, you guys excited for basketball season? Going yeah, forward, yeah. <laughs> At Mexico City in two years, guys. You know, don't don't leave your hotels. Be travel with friends. I'll just say this, like, I think Brent Venables needs to be re-asked the question of, so your defense with Jeff Levy's offense, huh? you know, like last year, you kind of threw us, you know, under the bus on that question and just dismissed it and said that, you know, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And it could have been fine. And oh, you still lose like a handful of games like the, the Brent Venables defense philosophy and Jeff Levy's offensive philosophy is not the only reason why OU lost games last year. It was one of many, 
but it's something that can certainly linger um, because players can develop and get better. You can recruit better players. You can recruit guys over Justin Broyles and David Aguebu and just have better results. But if you go out there and punt after 27 earth seconds and your defense is kind of tired, no matter how well your defense is played, your defense is going to get give up yards. They're going to hemorrhage yards and hemorrhage points in games that they have no business being close in when they played very well. So I think that that's a question that Brent needs to be asked not once, but multiple times until he gives a, an honest fucking answer. Um, and I don't know what he can say that will satisfy me or satisfy other people, but it's that's something that I'm looking for looking for this season is Brent's game day coaching of if that rears its ugly head again, does Brent do the Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley and just kind of like call on the phone and say, please run the ball. Just run the ball. We we have got better running backs than them. We've got better athletes than this team. Run the ball. Make it easy on Dylan Gabriel, my man. I think the number one question Brent's going to be asked and asked in, in as many ways as humanly possible is what did you learn from year one? Yeah. And how has that changed you as a coach? Are you more prepared now? And Brent's going to have to do this thing of saying, well, I was always prepared. Or, or maybe he's really, really honest. And that kind of pisses off a certain amount of section of the fan base of being like, well, you should have been ready year one <laughs> type of a thing. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably the biggest thing. You've got like substitutions, having delay of games, not knowing when to go for it on fourth down. But when you decide to go on for it, you're doing trick plays instead of just lining your offense up, which is the 10th in the nation. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it, there seems some things there. I do think the offense is going to be kind of shoved off to the side a little bit in the media day side and him being, I think he's going to get hit a decent amount on the you. So you say the defense is going to be worlds better. <laughs> like, What does that mean? You know, this is the worst off worst defense OU's had um, at any point in time or, or very, very close to the worst uh, of the Lincoln Riley era defenses. You were supposed to come in to fix this and it was not fixed. If not, it regressed a decent bit from, from Alex Grinch's last year. What did you do to address it? All I think all that type of stuff is going to kind of go on through here. And as far as like what I want to hear him answer, I just hope he has his anecdotes down and a little bit tighter yeah. <laughs> than last year. That's the one thing. So I don't know if I want to hear a bunch of blowing and going and then all in being fully inserted in the mouth. Uh, I just want to see nice, good college football head coach talk about how we're going to tackle and be aggressive and all that type of jazz. But I mean, um, I think if we can see if we see a calm Brent Venables, uh, would, as calm as he can be, I'll say that. I think that's going to speak volumes uh, uh, f- for that, uh, in, no, in my opinion. No blowing and going. Yeah, no blowing and going. No blowing and going. If Alan, do you think Alan? Th- the best part about media days, hopefully, is that Brent doesn't say anything stupid. and We don't have to talk about it. Is that right? Oh yeah, always. That's that's got to be your number one goal. You know, I think that. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, the the tempo versus the defense type thing. That's, a, I mean, I think that's a, a fair question. I I think that I'd also like to hear if forget forget the idea of you know uh, playing up to a standard or what have you. Like, did he? I mean, someone asked him, did he expect that the team was going to struggle the way they did last year? you know, from the time he took the job or from what he saw in spring versus where he got, did he, does he feel like his expectations for where they were headed were in line with what he had on the field um, or on his roster? Um, You know, that's a tough one. And I don't know if you'll get 
like a, uh, you know, if you'll get, I don't know, a, a forthright answer about that, but it, I'd, I'd like to hear that. I'd also like to hear if he thinks, you know, he should have been, he should have done anything different, like personnel wise, like in terms of being maybe more aggressive with how, uh, how he, you know, managed the roster last year. That would have been interesting. That'd be interesting too, but that's all retrospective. I don't know, you know, if that's going to get a lot of run. I, I do think now that you just uh, sparked my sparked uh, my one of my two brain cells, uh, Brent. I think Brent needs to be asked. I don't know who's going to ask this or if anyone will. He spoke very much so about defending the standard and about the culture and living up to the job and how the team needs to compete every single day, very very publicly about this idea of being great and being you know, making those decisions and, and 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 making sure that the OU fans were okay. Like he did a very good job of rallying the troops and all that kind of stuff. But obviously privately. He put his money on seven games. <laughs> you know, like that's mm-hmm. a diff. You know, there, there's there's a difference there from what he was saying publicly versus what he was willing to agree to via a contract, which would pay him more money. Now, obviously, as a head coach, I would say I need a bonus after winning three games and then after winning four. I mean, <laughs> trust me, you're going to make as much money as possible. But do I wonder if someone's going to bring that up from a media perspective? And I think it'd be really interesting how Brent tries to walk that tightrope because I don't think he's. I think he's very honest. He gives very interesting answers. I don't know if he's gives very deft answers <laughs> about trying to balance in between those two. Uh, saying I can be very positive, but I'm shedding my, you know, I'm kind of like putting the uh, chips on a different side on the uh, privately. Well, if I'm going to do like a thought exercise on that, if I'm Brent and I say I want a re- I want a bonus if I win seven games, what does that tell me? That tells me that he looks at the roster, he looks at what they lost, he looks at what they're gaining, and all the work they have to do. And he deduces that, yeah, um, based on scouting in the Big 12, um, we're probably going to be able to win seven games. Um, And then I could probably assume that he thought that, but didn't assume that they would lose, you know, the amount of games that they lost in the manner that they would lose them. Um, Because I think OU fans, if you had a seven-win, eight-win season, and you know you lose big to Texas without Dylan Gabriel. You lose big to TCU. Um, you lose close to Kansas State. You win out, or you just end up losing. You know, close to Texas Tech. I think OU fans can kind of look at that and say, you know, Mulligan for TCU in Texas. Like TCU is still going to win, but they, you know, maybe they don't win as big as they did, and it's not as ugly. Texas certainly doesn't win as big as they did without Dil- or with Dylan Gabriel. You know, you still might lose. And then you just kind of look at the overall season and go, you know, like, hey, they were in games, um, but they certainly lacked the experience of knowing how to close games. And now they're going to they're going to walk into next year with that experience. Um, Ideally, I mean, that's what happened. That was the kind of the narrative of 1999 of, man, this team is really close. They just don't know how to finish games. They just they've not been in that situation before. They've only known losing with this roster. And now they've got a coaching staff that knows how to win. They just need to kind of see it happen um, on the field. And it certainly happened in 2000. So I think that that's probably if Brent wanted to give an honest answer, that might be something close to it. Like I thought we'd win six or seven games, but I thought we'd be a little bit better, but just ended up losing some tight ball games and not in the manner that we did, if that makes sense. Or if a very intrepid media member wants to say, listen, you said seven games based on your expertise of looking at the roster and looking at where you're staying at. If you had to rewrite, if you had to rewrite that bonus for this year, where are you setting those games at? I mean, we have them, you know, it's like that. 
you could try to hold him to that or something like that. See if he gets a different answer for this coming year or something along, along those nature. Uh, but it'd be very interesting. I mean, but maybe maybe just a, a question for the, for the group. How often does that actually leak? Like the seven, like the game win bonuses and all that type of stuff. I mean, I, I maybe I just don't pay attention enough about uh, head football coach contracts. Well, but does does that come out that often? Alan, it wasn't a leak, right? It was a uh, Freedom of Information Act. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, FOIA, it's going to leak, leak as often as the beat writers decide they want to know what's in so the did, contract. Did Kersey ask for that one, like as his parting gift? The, <laughs> oh, you mean I don't beat? remember. I don't remember who it was that that got that, but um, yeah, no, I mean, it's you know, it's a public record. There's you know, it's all in there. Yeah. Um, moving on from there, from the Big Twelve gays, uh, we have a again another Allen one. Uh, Trammel and finances uh, breaking down about um, my assumption is uh, these these teams moving into the new conferences or maybe OU moving into the SEC uh, from that point in time. I do not have an Oklahoman uh, subscription, so I cannot read Trammel stuff. So this may be a cut (laughs) cut section. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge and continue listening to this episode. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Great food, drinks, and atmosphere. But I do want to say that I I have been interviewing people from Cincinnati and from Houston um, and going through the rest of the new uh, Big 12 members, and it is, like, shocking. Like, I did not I did not have a full grasp uh, of, of the financial situation. Like, I knew there was a halves and the halves not. Um, but, man, Houston and Cincinnati, I was talking to both of them, uh, uh, SH Podcast for Houston, I believe Houston was getting like $8 million a year from their media deal. Uh, I, I had no clue it was that little. Like I thought, I thought surely it's like, you know, close to 20 or something. It's like, no, $8 million. If they, if this big 12 deal gets up to what they're doing now, that said, if you guys are on the Patreon and listen to that, I believe they say they, they believe that the top out around 50 million. Once you add everything in, that's not what that's going to top out at. <laughs> uh, but still, even if it's in the low forties, you're talking about, more than four times the amount of this revenue these teams are bringing in. This is completely, you know, life changing, program changing. I should say uh, for these programs kind of moving in, and it's completely, completely amazing. That said, for schools like Oklahoma State, Kansas, <laughs> Kansas State, uh, it's a little bit of a, a recalibration because. You know, if we're going to say what red dirt is, uh, as, as he broke down these contract talks, these are kind of just like adjustment for inflation. You didn't get a real big bump of saying we're reselling the deals and now we're getting a big bump. You're mainly getting that 3% because of future money being worth less than current money because of inflation. They just were able to adjust that the inflationary period there. Uh, I'm hoping I stalled enough time for uh, Alan to, to, to hunt down what that was all about. Oh, I mean, I think that uh, really the article was kind of you know, use the departure of Thad Turnipseed as kind of a jumping off point, just, you know, talking about the overall financial picture for the university and the uh, athletic department. And, you know, he, uh, I wouldn't say that he painted like a really bleak picture so much as he just said, you know, I mean, it's not like a great financial picture. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and like, I don't know. I, I mean, I wasn't sure how to take it exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's possible that they're having some issues. I don't know, maybe getting donors to, uh, to shell out. I mean, his whole, his thing was like, I mean, Trammell was asking like, you know, there's all this talk about like a new football facility coming. Like, will that ever really get built? Like, w- will they ever see it? You know, I don't, and I, I assume so, you know, I get, but you know, I, it makes, it does start to make you wonder if like who he's talking to on the inside that would be saying that it might be planting that seed in his mind. I want to say, yes, I remember this article now uh, that they had a very, very baity uh, headline uh, of the, the $175 million football facility with that, with that tournament leaving will it ever be built or something along those lines. Yeah. Um I will say the the very limited conversations I've had with um, money people in different sports areas uh, at the University of Oklahoma, this is a not a concern. It's more of they believe OU to be leaving money on the table uh, with how it wants to be very. I don't know. There's ways of playing the game and uh, uh, and eking out every single dollar you can out of your boosters and out of your fan bases and all that type of stuff. And there's, there's really strong ways you can fundraise. Um, and there does seem to be a, a belief. And again, maybe it's a minority of people I'm talking to or have talked to uh, who believe maybe OU isn't pushing as far as uh, the Georgias or the Alabamas or something of like really, really putting, I guess I'll say putting the screws to the boosters because uh, you need that money. Uh, and there's only one way to get it. You have to ask them over and over and over again. And by doing that, you usually have to give them some sort of access or some sort of influence. And I don't think OU wants to play that game where they're giving over influence over the boosters, potentially of how maybe the football teams run or how the money and the tennis, tennis facility is being spent and things of that nature, other than they want to check and they'll put, they'll put your name somewhere on the building. I think maybe that's where OU wants to stay. I'm not entirely sure if OU wants to enter in that game of now trying to do like client, I mean, it's like a client uh, personality relationship type of stuff as you're dealing with that. I do know, uh, Brady, if you want to be able to go into this, you can do a hard pass. Uh, once this happened, Brady had talked about just the, not sure if OU is ready for the big boy leagues uh, from that. Is that is that something you want to be able to bite on? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, in terms of the article itself, I mean, people dog trammel for it. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, media people and i'm not in the media anymore but i'm on a podcast so to some people i am media still um i'm a big proponent of people in the media not telling fans how they should act i just i think that that's stupid um but i will push back against ou fans that really dog the article uh because they ou fans a lot of them have done a 180 on thad turnip seeds going to help save the program and turn it into an sec school with brent venables's help right and then he leaves mysteriously like you know, like that six months before his contract's up. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, he he was butting heads with people. And so therefore he wasn't good for us. And Brent didn't, you know, want him. He didn't fight for him apparently. So we're better off without him, right? Yeah, because oh, you can do no wrong. So I get that. I get that from fans. I'm just going to push back on it because that can't be proven. Just like Trammell's thought in the article can't really be proven. I mean, Trammell might have talked to people that he trusts and he might believe it individually, but the question is fair because, and I'm not dogging OU for wanting to run things, you know, close to the vest and secretively, but that's, this is what happens when you run things secretively. It opens the door for speculation and wild accusations and things like that. And people on a podcast to guess, Hey, the guy that was hyped up to help build 
football monuments and football facilities and help get the big wigs and the donors in SEC line suddenly left. So what does that mean? It, like it just it opens the door for speculation and none of it is ever going to really be proven unless someone just comes out and just blatantly says the truth. Um, will these facilities get built? I don't know. I, I kept hearing rumors, I, and this is like, I think on other OU podcasts, uh, and I think Scoop mentioned it, how, yeah, we kept hearing that we were going to see like the final uh, projection of what is supposed to be built closer to football season. Uh, but I mean, OU has before, they've, they've released plans and then, you know, time passes and it never gets built. I think the, uh, I was still in school when they released the, they're going to bowl in the uh, the south end zone, which happened, and they were going to revamp the uh, entire press box and just make it look completely different. And that part never happened. So plans change all the time. And it's I'm not dogging OU for it one bit, but all I'm saying is the question's fair. Oh, I am concerned about that because we're walking into a conference where that type of behavior is incredibly normal and it's par for the course. And I can certainly understand OU people that are involved with like making the machine turn with their donations. I can certainly understand them coming from the perspective of, well, we've won at a high rate and this is what I've donated. So why don't you win me something first and then I'll donate? Because if you look at Thad Turnip Seed's career, Alabama and Clemson. Well, Alabama before Saban got there hadn't been relevant since 1992 when they won their last national title. They were bad for a lot of those years. They were on probation for a lot of those years. They were um, ashamed for a handful of those years. They were talented, but they were just never really relevant in that time period. So their donor base and their fan base were coming from a place of desperation. Clemson, a lot of the same. They were you know, much better than Alabama in that time, but they were a joke. They were, uh, oh, you're Clemsoning. Oh, they're highly ranked, but no one takes them seriously. So their donor base and their fan base was coming from a, a place of desperation that OU's fan base and donor base simply do not know in the last 20 years. So I understand all the sides of this, but again, to round it all out, the question is fair because it op- like the door is open for speculation at this point. Man, paints a very doomy style picture there for fans vote of the University of Oklahoma. Uh, if, if the facilities get built, like, does that matter? What matters is Brent Venables is recruiting and his development, yes. because if those two things occur, everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. I think Thad was just there to potentially help, I don't know, shoot adrenaline into the arm of the program to get it into that space so that it can immediately happen. But I think fortunately for OU, and Brent Venables, he has been able to hit the ground running on recruiting. That's been the yes. one big thing that's been like, okay, that's that's kind of what we expected. We didn't expect six and seven. We didn't expect to be that bad last year and, and, and the way that they lost those games. But the recruiting, that is good. That will lead to hopefully bigger and better things. And then the trophies and the cool buildings will come afterwards. Yeah, I think yeah. OU's just... Go for it, Alan. Okay, well, uh, and I, I know we got to move on soon, but um, you know, I think that it's kind of funny though you bring up Alabama because part of the problem I think a lot of people in Alabama would tell you is that in that period where it was chaos, like uh, they had so many boosters and people trying, like vying for control and to have a say in things and influence, and like part of Saban's deal there when he got there was like you guys are going to get in line. 
you're going to give me what I want and you're not going to complain about it. Like I'm in charge. I'll quit if you don't want me, you know, if you guys don't, you know, do what live up to your end of the deal. And they have, you know, I mean, that's the, that's why you hired Nick Saban is to get all those resources in line, you know? And so like, I get the idea of wanting, wanting more, you know, booster money coming in, but man, like I just think about it and like, I don't want OU turning into like Texas's athletic department. I don't want yeah. OU turning into Texas A&M's. Now. I mean, you know, you think that having, you know, these great facilities and dropping this, you know, having boosters who are willing to drop this huge contract for Jimbo Fisher is a good deal at a place like A&M, but it's really not, man, because now you're stuck with Jimbo Fisher for 10 yeah. years. And now you've got to answer, he's got to answer all these different people. And you've got so many different people trying to, you know, kind of, you know, I guess assert themselves like, man, like, I don't know. That's, that's kind of the thing that I think OU has done really well, in my opinion, for, and made the athletic department so successful for 30 years now going on 30 years is like that kind of self-sustainability and, and the, you know, obviously they've got money coming in from donors, but it's not constantly, you know, uh, hitting them up for a check or, you know, yeah. taking money from anybody like that's a, that's a big, to me, that's a, that's a problem. I think, I think dumbed point. down the, the biggest difference between fat at Alabama in the beginning and fat at OU in the beginning is, um, like you mentioned, Alan, like people were trying to vie for power and then Saban is the guy who's like, no, 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 I'm in charge now. And fat at OU, the donors, whoever, you know, whatever that category of people is known as, um, they are coming at it from the standpoint of we're already good. We just want Brent Venables to make our defense better and therefore make us an SEC elite team yes. because we yes. believe that with our offensive yes. legacy and our ability to develop quarterbacks, recruit and our culture and our history, if we just plug in Brent Venables defense, we are going to be up there with Bama and Georgia. We don't need to be like willy nilly AM throwing money at people and then like, oh, maybe they'll be good. I don't know. What's coaching? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think OU was, you know, as Alan said, for, you know, coming on 30 years now, I think, in my opinion, ever since 2008, OU's been just stuck in first gear to a certain degree. I mean, it's, they're not bad enough to, to revamp everything, but they're also better than most <laughs> yeah we're close you know it's it's you're in that zone of where you're right there no you know in my yes in, in myself as a uh <clears throat> as a spurs fan um it was like when i was watching the dallas mavericks being like man you guys are really good and you win a lot of games but there's just teams right next to you who just win more and win more titles like it's that just has to be just infuriating and now i'm that way as an ou fan the, the difference is that between the pro sports, obviously, and college football is that college football has, I mean, especially what at this level, like 120 teams or something. So it, there is kind of a different beast there. And there's like, you know, a spectrum of what success is. Um, the hard part of that is I've had to kind of lower that expectation and say, okay, success isn't, I'm not walking into every single year like I was when I was much younger, thinking this is a year. Number eight's going up, guys. You know, I'm just not thinking of that manner at this point in time anymore. I'm more thinking, win as many games as possible and then roll the dice on the rest of it. I mean, I think that's where, cause it's kind of where OU is right now. And maybe that adjusts itself. You know, Brent Venable is able to bring in some defensive tackles. Hopefully, you know, maybe some things that kind of changes and OU becomes a little bit more of a betting favorite or one of one the of, betting favorites, but one I'm of them not for to, sure. 
one of them needs to just stop tweeting and commit. Like, nope, everybody knows what you're going to do. Just please just do it. Just please. Yeah. This is where we just bully David Stone. I, it, <laughs> please, it's just, please. It's just silly. It's just silly. It's, it's absolutely silly. Just do it. Shia LaBeouf right. gift. Just, just do it. Do it. Just do it. Uh, now, now we're on to the last topic, uh, a dark topic. So uh, I will go ahead and give some guys uh, uh, some trigger warnings on this. We'll be talking about uh, uh, University of Georgia and their, um, you know, there's somewhat of a recklessness, an, uh, an un, uh, whatever I'm trying to say, kind of a reckless culture they've got developed over there. That's winning national championships, uh, juxtaposed with an extremely toxic, uh, an extremely Haze, hazing uh, culture at Northwestern, which is not producing championships um, at that point in time. But Georgia has just having this, I don't know, it seems like there's a very strange, like, I guess they watched way too many uh, Fast and Furious movies, and now it's just like, hey guys, we all just do it. We all recklessly put each other's lives in danger and, you know, of that nature. And now you're seeing more and more and more of this stuff kind of coming out. Um, they also had the the student there who was uh, accused of sexual assault. It seems now I've read the case as much as I can. Seems to be just a really bad interaction between two people. <laughs> but it, it just doesn't seem to be very good from the Georgia side of it. Uh, Alan, do you have anything on, on Georgia just thinking about that? It's like this recklessness. I mean... It doesn't, this usually doesn't happen with teams that are very, very successful. Usually they're nip tuck. Or am I, in my young fandom at 35 years young, just confused of thinking Nick Saban's version of success is nip tuck and everyone else has always been kind of wild? I mean, Pete Carroll, I don't think that was like really nip, really tightened up when he was had his USC dynasty. You know, Texas as well had some stuff, Urban Meyer as well. I mean, uh, is this more par for the course for college football and success, or is this maybe something we're we're starting to see under the curtain to a certain degree, behind the curtain? Yeah, you know, I think that it's kind of hard. I mean, you know, surprisingly, I mean, I think the, I think Kirby Smart is going into like his seventh or eighth year there. I mean, yeah, you know, coaches that um, for the most part historically, coaches kind of have an expiration date. And, you know, 10 years is a long time in coaching years to be anywhere. And, you know, that's, I think people, you know, I mean, Nick Saban's a freak. He's different. But, you know, you, you, I mean, even Bob Stoops, I think would say like around year 10, right, right around that time, like, you know, stuff, stuff started slipping through the cracks. Um, you know, and I don't know if that's what's going on in Georgia. What would concern me, I think more about Georgia is, there just seems to be, I mean, you know, people talk about, for example, the first thing that Kirby Smart did was, you know, lobby to get that law passed regarding freedom of information. So they had a longer buffer between when they had to answer those kinds of records requests, right? So instead of being a month, it turned into three months or something like that. I mean, that kind of stuff. And then like, you know, you read in that in that one article about all the players getting out of practice and, you know, the co and the, the lawyer bringing it up, you know, like all these guys, you know, Kurt, coach smart gave him permission to be here to, you know, talk on behalf of this player or what have you, you know, I mean, all that stuff, you know, the idea of Jalen Carter seems like he got treated with kind of kid gloves when it came to everything that happened when, the, when one of their teammates died, you know, I mean, that's just a that's just a a bad way of doing business in general and it's a it's a it's kind of a scary thing i think just from a cultural standpoint because there's just you know a lot of enabling and a lot of kind of uh 
you know, just the the whole idea that it's all behind kind of like this veil of secrecy. I, I think it's just that's just big time college sports, period. I mean, at yeah, this point in time, absolutely. the money is so high. I mean, we just saw the stuff with the Alabama basketball last year that the guy come out of court doing like finger guns as this before someone pulled him inside and like, what are you doing? Like, you're no one just thinks. They just count money and win games. I think it's so stress involved and such, you know, anxiety inducing where you're just focused. Like you cannot see left to right. You only see what's right in front of you because you, you know, it, I think it's like painted in their eyes. And maybe I'm getting, I have a little bit of like stand up energy right now. I apologize for my manicness. Uh, uh, it, you, if you look left or right, they're being taught. There's, you know, you're, you're, you've lost sight. You know, there is nothing to look at. You look forward, you only see this goal. You know, even here, like Brent Venables, every coach is like, you're looking at this game, you're looking ahead, we're on to Cincinnati, you pay attention to nothing else. Uh, you can see how people can get lost in this thing and kind of get, you know, on the edges of it. That said, it can create some very, very dark stuff. I mean, we saw that in Baylor. We saw that at Penn State where people just shove things off to the side because you're thinking, uh, hey, we're winning games or we're doing this stuff. So I want to segue this over to what's happening in Northwestern. If you guys haven't seen it, there's a you know a large, uh, um, a decent collection of evidence of hazing, uh, some of it in a sexual assault uh, manner uh, with, co- with players on players, and maybe it's sanctioned, maybe it's not sanctioned. Coaches know about it, maybe they don't know about it, but it's a very, very strange, strange thing here. That's it's kind of kind of back and forth here. Uh, Brady, I know you say you didn't have a lot on it, but I think this just. There, there is a, a culture to this stuff of accountability potentially that gets sick and, and twisted uh, into like what's kind of happening at, at Northwestern. But I want to ask you from this perspective, Brady. This is being broken now. Northwestern comes out and says, hey, we found out some stuff. We had the independent third party. They found some stuff out. Uh, we're doing a two-week uh, suspension in the middle of the offseason <laughs> of our coach, non-paid by you. So he's we're going to be done. Two days later, the student newspaper's like, hold on a minute, player. <laughs> we found out a bunch of stuff. Here we go. You know, as someone who's worked in the media, someone who's like had looked at some of this stuff, I don't know if you're ever trying to like break anything, but what just the balls on these. On the- Leslie, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here, and it says you could have network connectivity problems. Going to, to, the, to the football program and saying, hold on. Someone needs to look at this uh, from a, in a different point of view. Do you have anything to think about from that perspective of going, I mean, it's the football team on the college campus. It's the big deal. Yeah. And you're going to basically tear it down. Yeah. And I think any, any time that there is a scandal, you know, or accusations of scandal um, going on and it's already been nipped in the bud to an extent and you read the report and you just have basic human questions of, you know, what about this or why, why this or the investigation didn't go into detail over here? Why is that? And then you start to, if you're a journalist, you know, you start to ask around or you reach out to people and then you start to have somebody come to you and tell you more information that adds to it that the investigation, investigation didn't go into. Then, yes, like, like do your job. Do like they're, they're doing their job in that respect. Um, but also in that same respect, um, their accusations. Um, you, the the common rule is when you get something, you know, told to you, even from a source that you trust, you have to go confirm it through a second person before you throw it out to the world because you just don't want to get yourself burned in that respect. 
But nowadays it's a little bit different just because, you know, Twitter, social media, you know, first, 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 you know, get it out there. Even if just one person tells you. Um, so th- there are like a lot of, you know, layers to something like this. Um, you know, I just, I don't really know what to believe. I don't know what to believe, like whether it's the initial report or the, um, the student uh, papers report. Um, there are more people coming out. There are more former players coming out. Apparently, I've just seen on Twitter from media members um, claiming that somebody from 2007 reached out to me and said that they had like some type of hazing ritual process or something. Um, it, like these things, unfortunately, happen. I don't necessarily understand what the benefit of these things are in terms of like from the perspective of the coach where you're encouraging that type of behavior. I understand trying to get people in line. And I understand um, as a half, I mean, my dad's Catholic. um, So I guess as half Catholic, um, I understand shame as a really good motivator in life um, to an extent, not overbearing shame. Um, But anything that deals with physical, mental abuse, anything dealing with um, something against somebody's will, that, that, that shit has no place in any type of culture, society, whatever like that has no place in football it doesn't make you tougher it doesn't make you like not commit a false start in the next scenario um where you committed a false start in the first place like all that stuff is kind of silly to me but um i'm gonna let this one breathe like uh, we'll see what happens <laughs> essentially um but it's just it's just ugly and i hope i hope i hope the initial investigation did all that it needed to do um but if not, then yeah, Pat Fitzgerald doesn't need to be working around football players, kids, young men anytime in the near future. Yeah, I've used this anecdote before, and it's something that, you know, art, you know, uh, uh, copies life. You know, if you look at Star Wars and stuff like that, it's always like the hero and the enemy at the end of the day kind of empathize with each other because the powerful in the real life setting, powerful empathizes with the powerful. And you can see the AD at Northwestern in the first on his like retraction of the suspension and saying, we're actually going to potentially suspend him for more. He's he had said, we focused too much on what Pat said he didn't know. And we didn't focus on the fact that he should have known. <laughs> and that's the part. I mean, your job is to know you have locker room monitors. They know people are scanning in and out of these buildings. Like, hey, why is everyone showing up at 1 a.m.? You know, like you you ask one question and you figure everything out. And that's the part where that that really, really just bothers me with all this stuff, like with Baylor and, you know, and, and Joe Paul and all this stuff. Everyone's like, well, he didn't know. And I remember during the Joe Paul stuff, Brent uh, uh, Switzer came out and said, no, he should. No, he should have known. Like he, when, if you're the head coach, if you're the guy, you know everything that happens in that building. There is nothing that happens without you knowing. I mean, people probably come up to you and say, "We changed the paper out of that printer that wasn't working." I mean, you're 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 the king. You know everything that's happening, or or you better well sure damn know at this point in time. And it, it's a hard topic for me because I hate that idea that this is pervasive and allowed to happen and once it gets found out everyone's like oh well two weeks you know that's it just blows my mind that anyone in any position of power can just think that unless the boosters we just talked about the big money stuff unless Fitzgerald just has those guys on lock it's just if you get rid of him you're losing like a hundred million dollars or something of that nature I mean and then I guess you're weighing you're, you're having to weigh those decisions and Honestly, if I were ever in that position, I hope I wouldn't weigh it and it's an immediate decision, 
you know, based on the facts, but I just don't know about it. Alan, you're the smartest one of us. I mean, (laughs) I mean, what do you, what is this? What, what sort of, what sort of was it a Gordian knot that you have to kind of get through this of separating, separating these two things? Oh, I mean, I don't really, to me, it seemed actually fairly simple. Um, You know, just to kind of go back to the journalism stuff, like, I I got I have a, a grad degree from Northwestern Journalism School. I didn't work for the Daily or anything like that, but I do understand kind of the um, the culture of the you know editorial uh, kind of philosophy there, the news gathering, you know what's kind of taught in schools. And when you put out that kind of thing on a Friday afternoon, the way Northwestern did with vague kind of allusions to this report, like that's. That is easy money for uh, anybody with, worth their salt as a reporter to follow up on that. Like that's, I mean, it, it, that was a, a no brainer. So it, they weren't even Northwestern wasn't even that slick about it. If they were trying to, um, you know, if they were trying to pull one over on everyone with this, but you know, it all goes. It really, I think it all does go back to the money, though. Like you mentioned, and I, I say that because like. You can say like Joe Paterno, how's Joe Paterno supposed to know that his, you know, one of his assistants is, you know, doing, doing what he was doing with, uh, you know, foster kids. How, how are we supposed to know that the players are doing this on their own time? And it's, it, it doesn't really matter. Like any time that that kind of thing is pervasive within your locker room or within your, there's something missing that you just are asleep at the switch or you're not communicating the things that you need to be communicating because especially after, you know, stuff like the Penn state deal, that the idea that you wouldn't be more vigilant about that. Now I say that, and my guess is that there are similar hazing, probably maybe not to this extent, but there's going to be hazing in other programs around the country. So it's kind of one of those things where you got to watch out about getting too high and mighty about things. But, you know, you know, I saw like Darren Ravel, for example, and I, I get it, no one takes Ravel seriously, but he, you know, talked about how, you know, he's known Pat Fitzgerald for this long time. And, you know, he started talking about getting canceled. And then he mentioned, you know, he, but he knows Pat and he's a good guy and all stuff. And it's like good, well-intentioned people fail all the time. They fail, they, they, you know, they're not able to live up to their, you know, responsibilities or they, they, you know, they can't, they're, they're not, you know, able to hold other people accountable, what have you. Like intentions aren't good enough in that kind of situation or being a nice guy. Like that's not good enough. It's not good enough that if you're Joe Paterno, you know, I mean, you've got to be the idea that, you know, at a certain point, it's easy to start kind of pulling stuff on you or that you are going to be more likely to be asleep at the switch when you're 85 years old. It's just, you know, we've got to, those, those kinds of ideas of, Oh, well, they didn't know, or, you know, he's a nice guy and he didn't mean, mean bad. Like, that's not good enough anymore. You know, the idea here is that I think that Fitzgerald, if he was, you know, if he wasn't doing everything, you know, what he could to uh, foster a better environment in his, in his locker room or what have you, you know, at the very least, hopefully other coaches are looking at this and being like, shit, I need to get on this. Like I can't, cause you know, I can't have this getting out, getting out of my locker room. I mean, I'll, I'll say like real quick, since I know we were going a little long, but, 
you know, the thing that I mentioned earlier of like, I don't know why this would even exist because it does, it's not like it makes your team better. I mean, Northwestern won yeah. one game. So what, what benefit does this bring you? Um, and if it's like the type of reasoning that I need to get my guys in line and therefore here are some processes that get guys in line. Um, well, that's stupid. Um, especially if it comes from something like hazing and something as heinous of, as what some of this hazing is being described as, but I, I will, I will say not to admonish anything or anybody that has done this in the past, I'll ask the broader question of, well, why would a Pat Fitzgerald feel like if this is what happened, he didn't go out of his way to understand or know what was going on? My answer to that question would be, well, it's because college football coaches, big time coaches are, their time is demanded, like too much is demanded of them. So you open the door for people to just have willful, willful ignorance of Mm -hmm. basic human moral laws being broken before their very eyes because they're just think what they're thinking is i can't begin to care about this shit right now if someone comes to me verbally in face to face i'll deal with it if not i gotta go recruit i gotta go plan for ohio state next week that is not the way life should be um but that's of course a pie in the sky like rainbows and unicorns like if we lived in a perfect world, it wouldn't be that you would have situations where coaches would understand that there's something bigger at stay at play here that I need to respect. And I need to put my job, you know, park it on the side for a split second because people are being wronged right now. So I wish that that was the case, but maybe that this is something that can happen moving forward. Like you mentioned, Alan, where it's like, okay, I, I need to get my ducks in a row and get my team in line right now in a positive way if this is going to come out, but um, these things have happened forever and they're unfortunately going to continue to happen. Yeah. yeah and it's something that coaches preach all the time. It's like, keep yourself accountable, keep the guy next to you accountable and all that type of stuff. That's, that's like in every single sports movie ever, we've ever seen. And every coach also preaches that of like, you know, you're accountable to the, to the man next to you and all that type of stuff. And this is just like, a perversion of that, a, a twistedness of that, of like where it's become this other thing. And if, you know, if you guys want to read on it, uh, go for it. I think it's very important to be, you know, uh, kept abreast about how these, uh, how these things happen and, and kind of keep that way. Uh, but it, it's just interesting to see where that tipping point is. And if it's even gone back all the way to, to you know, 2007, like this is just a, is just just a Northwestern thing. You know, it's like, as it just continued in that locker room where it's continued and continued and continued. And then it becomes kind of like that, that the fraternity that got kicked off of uh, OU's campus. So it's like, well, this is a song that's just been saying for 80 years. You know, it's like, we just continue to do it, you know, without ever thinking for half a second for anything. And I think the thing that's very interesting to me and my final thought on it is it's like, the football letter, like the entire football team says, we didn't do the thing that they said we did that has evidence that we did it. But if we did do it, then Pat didn't know. I mean, it's just like this weird little thing they all wrote, or whoever wrote that. I mean, it's none of it written in a couple hours after the story broke and signed off by the entire team. Clearly the entire team. Give me a fucking break. What happened to just making the freshmen sing like Rebecca Black's Friday or something like in front of the team. Like what happened to those days? Make, make, make them run, make them go get you donuts. Like there, there are forms of quote unquote hazing that, that are allowed and that prove the fucking point that nothing sexual has to happen. Nothing physically abusive has to happen. Nothing mentally abusive has to happen. And if a a freshman or like a player who always gets in trouble um, wants to cry about, oh, they keep making me go get donuts. Well, no one is going to like write home for you. Like they're just going to be like, 
stop jumping off sides. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just like I remember uh you know when the uh Broncos drafted Tim Tebow and they made him get like this horrible like friar like monk friar haircut and stuff where they shaved the top of his head <laughs> Ooh, yeah. and everything. Uh but I also remember being where I am very close to Dallas, uh you know Des Bryant famously refused to carry um that one wide receiver's bags at games and stuff like that. I can't remember the former uh, University of Texas wide receiver who played for the Cowboys for a bit. Um, Roy Williams? Roy Williams one? refused to carry oh, Roy Williams' yeah. bags and stuff. And it's like, oh, my God. You know, it's uh, it, it's on to that stuff. But that was a very dark topic or very, like, at least, I don't know, real topic. Not just a college football topic, but like a very real topic of actual issues going on. Uh, I, I encourage everyone to educate yourself on that type of stuff because college football or college sports in general, are kind of icky once you look at them <laughs> really hard uh, off the field. Uh, it's always something we have to justify with ourselves of being fans of a thing that's asking people to put their bodies on the line for our entertainment. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, boomer sooner. Hopefully we win all the football games. Uh, but thank you guys so much for hanging on with us uh, a little bit longer of an episode. We're able to dive into some, some stuff, which is pretty good. Um, I guess it's completely wrap it up. I'll end it as I always do for Matt, for Brady, for Alan. Boomer. Sooner. <laughs> <laughs>